Well, good morning, family. I want to say to those of you who are here, um, I'm not going to ask how many thought you were coming to the 9 o'clock service. <laughs> we won't embarrass anybody. And those of you watching, I, I do want to address those of you who are watching online right now, especially if you're watching on Facebook. Um, last service, we got kicked off Facebook. And, um, and so... There's an alternative to go, and you can go to, I think there's, uh, it's showing on, on the Facebook right now, but most of all, you can go to ccanaheim.com and, uh, and, and link to our YouTube station as well. So either way, but if you go to CC Anaheim, you'll, you'll be on there because um, we're going to do the same thing, and if, um, if when we get to this, uh, it's kind of early on, so... You might want to switch over now. Um, switch over now just in case and so you don't miss um, the rest of the message or at least a portion of it. I'd encourage you to do that. While, I'm, while, while people are doing that online, um, I wanted to make uh, mention of our Easter service. There's nothing more important to Christians than the resurrection. In fact, it is, it, it's the proof text for us as Christians, the Bible says, "If uh, if Christ did not raise, then uh, then our then everything we do is in vain." That, uh, but since Christ has risen, everything changes, and so because of that, um, Easter is such a special time for us as Christians. I want to encourage you to bring people. This is a good opportunity. More people come to Easter service than any other service of the year. We're going to do our best in expanding and getting more seating in here and making things that way. But I think people are getting ready to, to start getting back to normal. And I hope that uh, you are too. But we will make sure there's social distancing in sections where those of you who go, I've got to be, I, I can't come if, if I'm not able to get, you know, get the distance that I need, then we're going to have that available to you too. But we're going to encourage you, bring a friend. You know, start, if you haven't already, start praying. Who could you bring? I hope you'll really try to make, to get somebody here, you know. And, uh, and on your tables down here, you have your cards. They should be available. There's more um, at the info booth. And I want to encourage you to get those. And uh, you can give, because you can give these to people and it gives them the address and so forth, it makes it a lot easier for them to be able to, you know, find our Easter service and so forth. So I uh, hope you'll do that. And, uh, and I want to also encourage you to um, uh, get ready because I am going to do my message going to be a little bit different this morning in this way. Normally, we'll take a portion of Scripture. We'll really dig into it. I'm going to, this is going to be like a, a machine gun. Um, rapid fire. It's gonna, what I'm doing is I'm giving you, a, I want to give a reference sermon. And because I'm doing that, I'm, I'm, you know, we're recording it so people can go back on and look at scripture and reference that we're, you know, we're going through talking about the subject. The subject we're talking about is, um, you know, as we've gone through, we're going through the series the, uh, destroying the myth about Jesus. And what you think and believe about Jesus 
is extremely important. Extremely important. It's, in fact, the, the destination, your eternal destination, depends on it. And so the ramifications of a false belief in Christ are huge. And we want to make sure that you understand these core beliefs in such a way. We, we can't afford anymore. The, the body of Christ cannot afford anymore to be ignorant or to just be kind of, oh, well, it you know, kind of doesn't matter anymore. And if you're a parent, especially, especially, this is the kind of thing that you need to know inside and out because your child is going to be faced with the, with the false teaching about Jesus. Everything centers around who Jesus is. Every cult, every false religion does not believe what we're going to be talking about Jesus here. The myth is that Jesus is not God. And every group, you, want, you, can, you, you can take the, group, the groups that believe Jesus is God and everything else. Okay? And, and everything else is a false view of Jesus. And everyone has kind of a view of Jesus. There are people who hate Jesus, people who despise Jesus, people that say Jesus didn't exist, which is kind of like saying, you know, you don't exist. I mean, it's just a ridiculous idea, historically, in every way, both inside and not just not just in the Bible, we've got historical evidence that just is overwhelming. To say Jesus doesn't exist is, is to ignore history in every way. I mean, just, it, 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 it doesn't make sense. But, but people, everything's around who Jesus is. And if you get that wrong, well, you have a false Jesus. And there are a lot of Jesuses in this world. And, and Jesuses that are made up in people's own imagination. But there's only one true and living Jesus Christ. And, and we have to know who he is, what he's like. We need to know him. That's crucial. And uh, so I, I, I picked this video that we're going to show you here um, because... Actually, someone had sent it, and I, I listened to it, and I went, that's exactly what we've been talking about. A young man who has, um, who has either left his faith, well, I'll give you a little detail about that after the video um, to see if we can get through the video without getting kicked off of Facebook, and then I'm gonna, as I explain. Um, but the point is simply that um, this false Jesus is represented in such a persuasive way. And I want you to see it, and then, uh, then I'll comment on it. So go ahead. Did you know that there's a part of the Gospel of Mark where Jesus uses a racial slur? In Mark chapter 7, there's the account of the Seraphonician woman, a woman who is Syrian and Greek, both of which there were strong biases against within the Jewish community. And she comes to ask Jesus to heal her daughter who's possessed by a demon. And what is Jesus's response? He says, it's not good for me to give the children's food, meaning the children of Israel's food, to dogs. He calls her a dog. 
What's amazing about this account is that the woman doesn't back down. She speaks truth to power. She confronts Jesus and says, well, you can think that about me, but even dogs deserve the crumbs from the table. Her boldness and bravery to speak truth to power actually changes Jesus' mind. Jesus repents of his racism and extends healing to this woman's daughter. I love this story because it's a reminder that Jesus is human. He had prejudices and bias, and when confronted with it, he was willing to do his work. And this woman was willing to stand up and speak truth. Now, Brandon Robinson has a huge following. There are thousands of people who listen to him. And, um, and his Jesus um, is prejudice, sinful, because... You know, prejudice is sin. His, his Jesus is sinful. He, um, he is, well, he hasn't really thought anything through because this woman can just make this little phrase, even the dogs eat the crumbs, and all of a sudden he has an awakening. He's now not prejudiced anymore, and he repents of it. But see, his Jesus isn't the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible would know, knows who this woman is. In fact, the Jesus of the Bible was led there by the Spirit to talk to this woman and to make a, a point to all the disciples and to give her an opportunity to, uh, for her faith to be expressed. And as he talks to her and makes this, this statement, not that anything, that he would not do anything for her, but at first he's been called to the to, to the, the, the people who have been called to, in Israel for the gospel, for the message. And he, and he says, the food has to go to, to the children first. And that's when she makes this statement. And Jesus was so excited about her making that statement. And if you look at the end result, the people around saw that Jesus was accepting a Gentile. That was the point. Jesus was making. He did that with the woman at the well, you know, in Samaria. He's done that. He, he, he's done that uh, with others as well. But he would make a clear point that God is, loves these Gentiles just as much. And he heals the daughter. That was the end result of a Jesus who is, in fact, God. See, he was the one who actually created her. He would, he's the one who made her. But the fact is that Brandon Robinson doesn't believe that. He doesn't believe that because at some point in his life, he actually um, gave up his faith in the scriptures to be the inerrant word of God. And he gave up his faith because... Actually, he had a conversation with, a, with Michael Brown, who is a theologian. And he said to Michael Brown um, that he had, I'll use this and see if I don't get kicked off, an alternative lifestyle. But he was a Christian. And that he believed in Jesus. He believed in the Bible. He believed in all these things. And Michael said to him, he says, listen, if you take and you get away from what the scripture says on one area like this, instead of taking God's word as is, he says, you're going down a path that is going to get, eventually is going to get you to be completely away from the scriptures and from God. You're, go you're going to go down that path. 
Because at the time, he says, I believe Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah, the Son of God. He believed all those things. He says, I believe in the Scriptures. But this thing, I believe God is, it's, is God's okay with this and without. But it didn't take long. And now you're hearing exactly what he does believe about Christ. That he is, in fact, I mean, he was a, he's prejudiced. He's a sinner. He's, you know, he's human just like us. Yeah, he is human, but he's sinless. The Bible says he was is tempted in every point as we are, yet without sin. If Jesus sinned, he could not be our sacrifice. We're still in our sins. We could not have forgiveness of sins if Jesus, in fact. But this young man is very persuasive, and there's many like him, many like him, who are out teaching. They're, they're influencers. They're teaching. They don't have the, the foundation. And that's why I say we do not have the privilege anymore as Christians to not know this, the truth clearly and not to be able to defend it. You don't have that privilege, folks. We have to learn it. We have to know it. We have to have it settled in our heart and have the truth, you know, a foundation that we live our life on. So I'm going to take you through the scriptures. Like I said, we're going to be moving quite rapidly. And I'm going to take you, first of all, to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. It says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. See, there are traditions of men. There, don't, be, don't, don't let anyone cheat you and, and, uh, through these empty, deceitful philosophies, traditions of men. The ways of the world, the principles of the voices, don't let that happen. For in him, talking about Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The fullness of the Godhead. Everything about it dwells in Jesus Christ. And you are complete in him. If you're in him, you're complete. Who is the head of all principalities and powers. He's the guy at the top. Jesus says. See, Every cult, as I said, does not believe that about Jesus. It, and our beliefs, what we believe about Jesus is critical in this way. And I know some of you might say, I've had people say this, and I don't know if it, it, it's been a while, so I'm hoping you're not saying this. But I've had people say, well, it doesn't matter. I don't have to have all this stuff. I just believe and, and that just seems, that's such a strange way to approach. I'm sure we didn't know everything. None of us probably knew everything about our faith, about Christ, when we said yes to Jesus. There is a, a certain level of, of believing because God touched your heart. Maybe you've been convicted of your sin. You find the peace in Christ. But our, but our faith is not built upon just believing. The answer to that is, Pretty much everybody out there believes in something. And if, if that's the strength of your faith is just, I just believe, um, then you are not much different than any other cult out there in the sense of how you approach. Christianity is based upon truth. And there is truth to believe. You know, we, we, we believe something 
not because, you know, not because we just believe it, but belief doesn't make it true. Truth makes you believe. And when you have truth, then you have a foundation of your belief and your faith. And so we're going to take a look at Jesus' claims. The first thing is, Jesus himself claimed to be God. And I do want to say this. We're using the Bible as a foundation of, of our um, belief in Christ. And right after Easter, I'm going to do a two-part, maybe a three-part series, but I know it's two-part for sure, that I'm going to be doing on why you can believe the Bible. And that probably is something we would do first, but you, most of you already trust the Scriptures as they are. So I want to prove from the Scripture. But we will talk about why you can trust the Bible here in a few weeks. So the first thing is this. Jesus claimed to be God. He said it. See, and the Jews, and here's the, the, the key in, in looking at some of this, who he was speaking to, his audience knew what he was saying. And, and because they knew what he was saying is why they reacted the way they did. So in John chapter 10, verse 30, it says, I and my father are one. Now, that statement, I and my father are one, the grammar, uh, of the Greek grammar for one is one in essence and nature. One in essence and nature. Jesus was saying, my father and I have the same essence and nature. We are one. It says, then the Jews took up stones against, again to stone him. I think this isn't the first time they've done it. You know? And Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from, from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? And the Jews answered him saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being man make yourself God. And Jesus didn't, didn't dis, dis, dispel that. Jesus knew what they were believing about him because he said that. When he was saying, me and my father are one, he wasn't saying like, you know, if you're married, you're, you know, you're one, or, or you're, you, know, you, have, you have a oneness in your Bible study group. He was talking about the very essence, and they understood that. The audience said, we gotta, this guy's blaspheming God. We can't let him live. Now, Jesus' claim to be God is either it's true or it's false. Now, consider the ramifications if it's not true. C.S. Lewis said it this way. If Jesus is indeed not God, if he's not the savior of the world, then he is a liar or a lunatic. There's really only two other categories. He either is the son of God, he is God in human flesh, the second person of triune Godhead, or he's got to be lying about it, that he knows he's not God, but he's still letting everybody else believe it. Or he's just, he's just a crazy. He actually believes he's God and he's not. Because if someone claims to be God, you know, if someone comes to me and claims to be God, I will want to try to get them help. You know, if, if, you, if you come and say, hey, I'm God... I'm going to back up a little bit. I'm a little, you're, you're, you know, you're concerning me being here. But, but if 
you are able to go, listen, I'll prove it. In you know, a couple of days, I'm going to die, and, and then I'm going to raise from the dead. And I said, you just go do, I, no, don't, don't die. Get some help first, you know. <clears throat> I don't think that's going to happen. If you can prove it, well, and that's what Jesus did. He did. He proved it. But last week we talked about, we went through the Old Testament, and we talked about the Messiah who was promised. All these scriptures about the Messiah who is coming, the Christ who is coming. And Jesus fulfills all of those. I mean, he fulfilled prophecies, over 330 prophecies, just directly of him coming before he ever came into the world. Prophecies about him. And so now what we have is we have both prophecies about the Messiah who would come, that he would be God, and then we have proof in the life of Jesus that proved that what he, you know, what it said about him is true, and he is God. Now, understanding this, and we'll get into it in a little bit more in a minute, but um, the nature of God is mysterious. And, and I say it this way, there are things about the nature of God that are beyond our ability to comprehend. And, and for instance, probably everybody would have no problem with me saying what the Bible says, God is eternal. He's, he didn't have a beginning, he doesn't have an end, he, he's forever. And, and having that view and being able to say that doesn't mean you understand it. Because you and I are really not capable of understanding eternity it's just the concept to us but the ability to understand forever on each direct you know whatever direction there's not even a direction that's the idea of time it's forever he lives outside of time and space so there are things about God we would say right there is one of them this aspect of God that God is and we're going to show you here God is one and, and yet there's three persons in one Godhead. It's, it's such, it, it's so difficult to understand. We try to give illustrations. They all fall short. I mean the egg, the light, all of these things that people use. They all fall short. So um, as we do, this is what happened. Bible believers you know, people who took the scriptures, the disciples themselves, as they took the scriptures, they recognized that the Bible is very clear that there was only one God. And then, then they, they look and they see it's very clear that the Father is God. And it's very clear that the Son is God. And it's very clear that the Spirit is God. And so then, wait a minute, is there three gods? The Bible says there's only one God. And how do you reconcile that? Well, we know the Bible says that the Son is God. I'm, sure, I'm going to prove that today, that the Spirit is God and that the Father is God. And there's not three gods. And the reconciling of that is we know it's true. And the Bible doesn't even give a name to it. So people made a name for it. 
And it's not in the Bible. We call it the Trinity. The Trinity is there is one essence and three persons in the Godhead. The Trinity. But that's just a, a name. It's, we try to define it. But the fact is, it's one God, three persons, in one essence of God. So, you can either believe it because the Bible says it, or you can say, well, I don't get it. And you would be right along with the rest of us. We don't fully get it. But I'm going to show you it's true. It's absolutely true. No way getting around it, in fact. In, in Isaiah 43.1, uh, I'm sorry, 43.10 says, You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. So he's, he's, he's talking actually to um, the children of Israel here. And he says, that you may know that I am he, and before me there was no God formed. None before me, nor shall there be after me. No God before me, no God after me. That's pretty clear, right? Not hard to, to understand. Let me take you to an understanding that you need to grab, grasp a little bit. It's pretty simple. Many of you already know this, but I need to clarify. The name of God. Do you know that God has a name? Absolutely he has a name. In fact, what we know is we know the consonants of the name of God. What we don't know is the pronunciation. There's two basic pronunciations that people came up with. And it's probably one of these two. One is Yahweh. The other one is Yehovah. Yehovah. Uh, it has a, the W uh, can be uh, pronounced with a v, a v sound. Yehovah. There's Yehovah and Yahweh. Now, you've probably heard Jehovah is another way people, but it's Yehovah. And the, the Jews actually, um, they're, you know, the, they, tend, they tend to believe it's Yehovah. And, uh, and, you know, the Americans or the Gentiles of the church, um, tends to believe it's Yahweh, tends to believe. I'm talking about probably, um, we're, we're, we're talking about the academic community, not everybody, but in the academic community. And there's some, I, I have a, a, a view of that that someday I'll do uh, in, the, in the research that I've done, and, um, but it's not important right now. There's a reason why we cannot, we do not know the name of God which, by the way, is 6,807 times in the Old Testament. 6,807 times. The majority of the time that when you read the name, when you're reading the Bible and it, comes, and it says God or Lord, the majority of the time, it's actually God's name is there. The English writers, we just... Because no one can pronounce it, we just fill in Lord, God. We, we have fill-ins for it. In fact, when you see it all in capitals, the word Lord, that means the name of God is there. I mean, you've come across it all the time. 
Jesus knew the name of God, and he taught his disciples that. The scripture is very clear that Jesus taught his disciples his, the Lord's, you know, the name of God. And what happened is, back in the, the times of the Maccabees, about 150 years before Jesus, um, the, uh, the emperor, the, uh, the, the king or emperor of Greece um, said, no pronouncing the name of God. In fact, if you pronounce the name of God, we'll kill you. And they brought, and they infiltrated even the community of the Jewish community. And if they found anybody using the name of God, they'd kill them. So it became hidden among the, the rabbis, the name of God, how you pronounce the name of God. And up until after the, the, the time of Christ, um, it was still, you know, kind of an inside who, you know, pronouncing the name of God. But after Christ, it disappeared on how to pronounce the name of God. And I think that's not by accident. Because God has given Jesus a name that is above every other name. That the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. But the scripture does tell us that the name of God will be proclaimed at the end. So we're going to, we're going to come to, and, and I think, I th in fact, I, I think we, we're actually finding, we've found about a thousand manuscripts that have the name of God in it. So I think we're, we're getting to a place where we're going to be pretty confident how to pronounce the name of God. But <clears throat> that's the name of God. But there's also descriptions of God. And those descriptions of God come out in these ways. The, 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 the word God oftentimes is, a tr is, is, is translated from the word Elohim. This is the second most used. Na uh, and this is not the name of God, but this is the description of God. It's Elohim. It's like when the Bible says, in the beginning, uh, you know, God, God created the heavens and the earth. That word God is Elohim. And that word is an interesting word. It's a word that is, um, can be actually uh, um, translated gods. Gods. It can be translated. In fact, when it's talking about false gods, they use the word Elohim. It's kind of, but it's a, plur, it's a plurality of a singular. Kind of like when we say there's one like cl cluster of grapes. You might have many grapes, but one cluster. In Elohim is that idea of God. There's one God, but it's a plural element to it. And it's hard to translate. So we translate it when it's referring to God, the, the one and true and only, only God, we translate it God, not gods. Which is actually right and proper. Because there aren't gods in the Godhead. There's a God in the Godhead. So we see that translation. It's a singular plural. And we see Adonai, which is the word Lord, 428 times. That's not really that many times. Yet when you read your Bible, you'll see it's, it'll look like thousands because it is. It, the word Lord is translated. But, but this Lord will be in smaller. You'll have a, a capital L and smaller letters, O-R-D, when it's just saying Lord. When it's all capitals, it's saying the name of the name of God is there, and it's just giving a telling you 
and saying Lord because they don't know how to spell his name. A good translation would just put the consonants there. And there are translations that actually do that. Some of you might have one. I have, uh, I have several of them that, at home that are that way from the Hebrew and the, and the, and, and the transla- translations from the Greek as well. The word El is God. And, uh, and it's used sometimes of false gods, El. It'll be used in the scripture. But also of the true and living God. For, El, for instance, El Shaddai. Some would know that if you've been around when Amy Grant was singing El Shaddai. Um, it's God Almighty. And El Elyon is the most high God. So you have these um, references to God and his, who he is. And you see that. Sometimes, in fact, the name of God, Yahweh, is also with, uh, or Jehovah, is also with a designation behind it. So, um, Jehovah Jireh, someone, you know, the, or Tescanu, and some of the names of God that, that people refer to. It's really the name of God and what he is about what he does, how he, how he reveals himself. And usually that comes when someone like Abraham, you know, God provides and he calls him Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. So he, he, he gets revelation about who God is as God provided the sacrifice for his, instead of his son. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Oh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Every good Jewish child repeats this, family repeats this every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Listen, there's only one God. I hope we establish that. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 10 it says, Then Jesus said to him, Away with you. Talking about Satan who was trying to get him to kneel down and worship him that he could have the kingdoms of the world. He says, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So there is one God and you are to worship him only. You're not to worship other gods. One God, worship him only. Got it? Okay. Exodus 20 and verse 3 says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness, uh, anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, that is, uh, that is in the water under the earth, kind of covering everything. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. Same thing. You're not to worship them. Right? Okay. Well, Jesus claimed to be God. So what is, how can you see, is there any proof for that besides him saying it? Well, Jesus is Yahweh, Yehovah. Let me just give you an example or two, but the fact is that this happens throughout Scripture. You see at places where Jesus is referring to Jesus as Jehovah. When, when Isaiah, for instance, was worshiping, you know, came into the, the presence of God and he knelt down and he saw the glory of God. It says it was the glory of Jehovah. The glory of Jehovah is right there. 
And they saw that, and he saw the seraphims crying, covering themselves, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. And strain filled the temple. It was Jesus who said of Isaiah, he saw my glory. Who was in that throne? It's, Jesus said, it's, he saw my glory. In Zechariah 12, 10, it says, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierce. Yet they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one who grieves for his firstborn. Who is saying this? Well, Jehovah is saying it. Jehovah is saying, I will pour on the house of David and inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And they will look upon who? He says, me. Jehovah is saying, or Yahweh is saying, they will look upon me. John 19, 34. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen his, has testified, and his testimony is true, and he, and, uh, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Jehovah said, they will look upon me whom they have pierced. Now, the scripture says, you know who it was they were looking upon? It was Jesus whom they had pierced. So what is it? Was it God the Father? Was it God the Son? Yes. His creator God. We, we mentioned this a minute ago. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. In Isaiah 44, 24, it says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and he who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens all alone. See, God is speaking. Stretches out the heavens all alone. Who spreads abroad the earth by myself? God says, I did it by myself. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And all things were created by Him and not anything was created without Him was not anything created that was created. Not anything. So what was it? Did God the Father create all things or did Jesus Create all things. Yes. Yes. Jesus, Jesus is the Savior. Isaiah 43, 11 says, I, even I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. So the Lord is saying, God is saying, there is no Savior but me. I am the Lord. And I have declared and saved, I have proclaimed, and there was no foreign God among you. Therefore, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. 
So who's saying it? God is. And, and what is he saying? He says, I'm the only Savior. Hosea 13, 4 says, Yet I am the Lord, Jehovah, your God, Elohim, is the word there, ever since the land of Egypt, and you shall know God but me. You, you shall know no God but me. For there is no Savior besides me. God says, right? Luke 2.11. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Philippians 3.20 says, For our citizenship is in heaven for which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, is the Father the Savior? Or is Jesus the Savior? Yes. 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 Jesus forgives sins. Right? Jesus forgives sins. And, uh, and that's a big deal. <clears throat> it's a big deal. Um, it says in... In uh, Isaiah 43, 25, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, for I, I will not remember your sins. Remember Jesus, the Bible says they, in Matthew 9, Behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying in a bed. Remember, they, they took him, brought him down to the rough Peter's house. Jesus, and and when, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is this. If Paul over here walks over and punches John in the nose, I would not punch John in the nose. But if he did, and I said, Paul, I forgive you, brother. I forgive you for punching him in the nose. John goes, wait a minute. He didn't punch you in the nose. He punched me in the nose. The exact point. Exact point. You see, defense, sin, is against God. The only one who could forgive is the one who's been offended. God has to forgive sins because he's the one offended. No one else can forgive sins when he's the offended party. Make sense? It did, and, the, and here's the point. The people that Jesus was talking to, the people that, that knew, they knew exactly what was going on. And that's why the scripture says, and at once some of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemies. But the Bible says Jesus forgives sins. Acts 5.31 says, him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So, 
Who forgives sins? Does the Father forgive sins? Or does Jesus forgive sins? Yes. You're getting it. Jesus preexisted in the form of God. It's very clear. He preexisted in the form of God. I've heard people say, in fact, for instance, uh, um, Muslims and other um, groups that um, so-called Christian groups that don't believe that Jesus is in fact God claim that he was created at, you know, when he was created as a child. No, he preexisted. And the scripture says in Philippians 2, 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God. So when was he in the form of God? He had always been in the form of God. He was with the Father, always. In the beginning was the Word. He had always been. We read the scripture, it says, before me there was no God born, and there's, after me there's no God born. Jesus comes from the Father. He's one. He came in the, being in the form of God, consider not robbery to be equal to God, but made himself no reputation, and took, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men. That's the problem. There's another mystery, and the mystery is this, that God became man. Jesus was fully God and fully man. He's the God-man. In fact, what, what distinguishes Jesus and, he, and would get him in trouble um, is not, when, not as much, I mean, it was when he also made himself to be God, but it was also when he identified with Daniel's the son of man. Because when he identified with Daniel's son of man and he said, I'm the son of man, they also wanted to kill him because he was claiming to be the one who is in fact the Messiah who would be God. So it goes back to that. It keeps coming back to that element, that statement of who he claimed to be. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 6, it says, But when he again brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. So he brings them into the world. He's, he's not created. He brings them into the world. When he brings them into the world, what does God do? The Father says that all the angels of God worship him. Now, I, spot, I, I, I thought that you're only to worship God alone. But now, the angels are commanded to worship Jesus. And not only that, and then some say, well... Jesus called God the Father God, his God. He called him God. Do you know that God the Father called Jesus God? In the next verse, in verse 8 it says, but to the Son he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Who's he talking to? Well, Jesus. He's talking to the one that he had just said that the angels are to worship. And so he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. There's only one God, and Jesus is God. Luke 2.11 says, And there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. We know we have, he's a Savior. We know he is, the, he, is, 
He is God to be worshipped. He accepted worship. Jesus accepted worship. Remember when Jesus walked on water and he came into the boat? That kind of, um, and when he got into the boat, the, the storm stopped. That kind of woke his disciples up a little. And what did they do? They fell down and the scripture says they worshipped him. They worshipped him. Saying, truly, you are the son of God. And Jesus didn't go, wait, 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 wait. Don't do any of this worship stuff. That's, you know, I'm Jesus. He accepted it. Whenever an angel, for instance, got worship, and you see that like in the book of Revelation, when somebody mistakes who they are and they kneel down to worship, immediately they stop them. Oh, don't worship me. Right? And you would do the same, right? If somebody fell down and started worshiping you, would you hopefully go, hey, <laughs> hey, hold on, buddy. I don't know what you're doing. It's weird. Uh, you don't worship me. You worship God. Jesus, if he wasn't God, would have been blasphemy for him to accept worship. And yet he did. Remember when, when um, Thomas, he had missed when Jesus had rose from the dead and they told him he, he's alive and he says, I'm not going to believe that I see the pierced hands and feet and then I'll believe. And, and, and Jesus shows up and he says, here, take a look. Go ahead, put your fingers inside. And Thomas falls on his face and he says in John 20, 28, he answered and said to him, my Lord and my And Jesus didn't say, no, 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 don't call me God. He received the worship, the adoration, because he is. It would have been sin for Jesus to accept that if he wasn't. Are you getting a little convinced? The Jews knew he declared himself to be God. They understood that. In John chapter 8, verse 57 through 59, it says, The Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And, uh, and Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, what had happened is, they had said that their father, you know, was Abraham, and Jesus says, you, you know, your, your father's the devil. He kind of was stirring things up. And, uh, and they said, you, you're not old enough to see Abraham. He's been gone a long time. And Jesus said, before Abraham was, before he even came into existence, I was there. That's actually not what he said. I just seen if you're listening. He said, I am. It's an interesting way in which he said that because there's, there's no predicate in this. In the Greek, there's no predicate. There's no, because some, some of your translations will actually fill in the predicate and they'll say, I am he. The old King James and some of the other translations have it right. There is no predicate in the original. He didn't say, I am he. He said, I am. Which doesn't make sense to us. It did to them. 
they knew exactly what he was saying. Because the moment he said, I am, they took up stones to throw him and, and to throw at him. They wanted to kill him. And Jesus had to hide himself and pass through the crowd. Because they knew that he was talking about the I am when Moses was on the mountain and he saw the burning bush and God told him to go and talk to Pharaoh and the children of Israel and he says, well, who am I going to, you know, who, who is sending me? Who are you? What can I say sent me? And he said, and God says, I am that I am. In other words, I'm the all-sufficient one, I am. And Jesus is the I am. He's, he's Jehovah, Hova, Jehovah. He is Yahweh. He is, he is the, the all-sufficient one. He is the I am. He's the, the creator of all things. He made all things, John 1 says. And, and he is he's the savior. He's the deliverer. In John 1.18, it says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, has declared him. I want to take you to this scripture. Because in the oldest translation, or the oldest manuscripts, it reads differently. And the ESV and some other translations have caught this. The oldest translations, um, manuscripts say this. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has shown, made, uh, made him known. A scribe somewhere along the line was copying later on to the early manuscripts and said, no one has seen God at any time. The only God? He thought, no, it can't be that. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father. No, that's not what it says. That's not what John wrote. What John wrote was, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. The only God. Well, is the Father God or is Jesus God? Yes. Yes. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, Isaiah said. The government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Say this with me. Mighty God. Mighty God. He's the mighty God. The everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Romans 9, 1 says, I tell you the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart for I w could wish that I myself were a curse for Christ, from Christ for my brother, my countrymen, according to the flesh. He's just want, he praying for his, his countrymen. He's praying for the Jews. He says, I'd, I'd do anything. Who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God. And, the, and according to the flesh, Christ came. And this Jewish Pharisee writes, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen.
we see the nature of God. We see the characteristics of God in Jesus. He's omnipresent. He says when, we, when two or three gather in prayer, you know he'll be here. If he was just a man, he couldn't be here. If he was, if he was just a good prophet, you, you couldn't count on him being here. He's going to be here. But when you and I pray together, he's in our midst. He's omniscient. He knows all things. He tells us. He, he, he talks about the future. He t- told the disciples about the things that would come. He knows he, he's not bound by time and space like we are. He's an omnipotent all-powerful. They feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be but even the wind and the sea obey him? I mean, look at the power. He, he, he describes to the disciples of John the Baptist, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. We see the characteristics of omnipotence, omniscience, and omnipresence. This is God. Say, well, but there's some things like he said, you know, of the day and the hour, he says, I don't know. Only the Father. Well, you deal with the fact that he is fully God and he laid down his prerogatives as God. He limited himself to only what the Father would reveal to him, but at all times he was upholding all things by his own power. The scripture says in Colossians. So yeah, he says, I don't know the day or the hour. Some will say, see, he had limitations. Do you think he doesn't know the day and the hour now? The one that, that John saw on the Isle of Patmos and his eyes were like a flame of fire and his hair. I mean, he goes, the guy that used to go, hey, Jesus, how you doing? You know, he was so close. That guy, he says, I fell on the ground like a dead man. I saw the resurrected Jesus. He's God. Couldn't breathe. It wasn't, hey Jesus, how you doing? How's it going, buddy? It was, and Jesus says, John, it's me, stand up. Get a hug. I love you. Same Jesus. Same Jesus. That's who we worship. Let me tell you why that's important. He's not the Jesus who is prejudiced. He's not the Jesus who is limited. It's not the Jesus who sins. He's the all-powerful Jesus that knows everything that's going on in your life, loves you, died on the cross for you, paid for your sins fully. He's a Jesus. No one could love you more than him. That's the Jesus. And he has no limitation. None. 
He's God. And it doesn't diminish that the Father is God or that the Son is God. There's one God. Three persons, one essence. Say, I don't quite, I don't know how that works. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's okay. But you know it's true. That's what matters. That's what matters. Worship team, will you come up and would you... Could we worship this all-sufficient I am, Jehovah, Yahweh, Father God? Could we worship him? Will you join us? You can stand, kneel. You can lay flat on the ground like John if you want. Do whatever. But let's worship him. It's all about you. It's 
It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for everything I've been in. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm coming back to you. It's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for everything I've made, but it's all about you, it's all about you. time I'm coming back bless you church be blessed as you go in the name of Jesus